Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash codemonkey. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hi, welcome to our weekly podcast, Code Monkey Talks, about things that interest technologists. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brian Jackson, and joining me is Brian Demers. Thanks. How's it going? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, and joining us this week is our guest, Greg Greenley. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Carlos. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we're excited yeah, to talk welcome. to you, Greg. Uh, Greg is a DevOps engineer at Hobson, um, and uh, we'll uh, be getting into that in a little bit. And the format of our show is that uh, we'll talk about some stuff that's uh, in the news that's relevant to kind of DevOps-centric stuff. Then uh, we'll have a deeper interview with Greg. And then after that, we will uh, go into, um, or we'll leave you guys, the listeners, uh, with something to do. But before we begin... We've got some follow-up from an earlier show. Um, back in episode six with uh, Brian Fox, uh, we were talking about uh, the uh, proposal uh, with the JDK, with, with Java, for Java 9 for the Jigsaw um, modules. And uh, he had some really interesting perspective on it. Uh, I, you know, I, I think listeners should go back and listen uh, if they'd like to hear more about this. But... Um, but basically, the the gist of it is, is that the jigsaw modules are really broken, and um, uh, and so the news and the follow up out of this is that today the uh, the group that uh, decides on this this type of thing, the uh, uh, the JCP, decided that um, they rejected the jigsaw module for uh, JDK nine, and uh, I guess they're going to have to go back to the drawing board with it. So. Um, you guys, uh, you know, and Brian, I know you have background in Java. Greg, I don't know, um, you know, what your your tech stack background is, but uh, um, what do you guys think? I think it's great. Um, so, so I've been following this a little bit. Uh, not, not. I haven't really been voicing my opinion other than sort of in private discussions, I guess. But um, I have seen some threads by uh, specifically the tech lead. I forget his name now, but uh, he was still pushing for this, like advocating that just because a couple of the big shops. Who are, who are on the um, the committee? They were gonna throw it down. Doesn't mean that everybody else should. But in fact, I mean, my opinion is that's exactly why people should vote it down. If 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 you have some key contributors that don't agree with it, it does suck to have to go back to the the drawing board, right? And and I totally understand his perspective. He's worked very hard to get this stuff out. Uh, a lot of things work, but there's still problems, you know, with with probably you know the biggest de facto build system in java right and 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 how people are using java today um that could change in the future and i think that's fine but i'm glad they voted it down yeah yeah good to hear um i i also think that this is the right decision uh just based on how much would potentially break uh particularly with non um with the the JVD, JDK, um, JVM uh, languages like uh, Clojure and, and whatnot uh, would be broken by some of the changes that were proposed with Jigsaw. Um, and, and they'd have to, you know, I don't know exactly what extent they'd have to go to to, to work around it uh, to make themselves work on JDK 9 but um, you know, with Jigsaw. But it just uh, making big sweeping changes so give me yeah, go, give me Greg. a little bit of background on this. Like, sure. I'm, I'm not I'm not from a, a, a Java developer background. Yeah, uh, but would like to know. Yeah, exactly. So so Jigsaw. So what this is was a proposal for how to um, manage modules within the JDK. So uh, you know you've got a project and you depend on two other you know two or three or a hundred different um, other libraries that are open source mm -hmm. libraries. Um, you might be uh, you might be a library, and you're you're working within this the JVM con, you know space of there's those same modules. Like a good example is something like um, uh, one of the Commons libraries from Apache. Uh, maybe you depend on version two point one. Another thing that's trying to be used at the same time is depending on a completely different version. 
this was about managing that kind of packaging so that um, you can have isolated uh, dependencies uh, on on individual libraries so that like you can be in your little sandbox within the the runtime and another library can be in another little sandbox depending on their own set of dependencies. Gotcha. Um, and so that's like the general gist. Uh, the, the other kind of main technology in the Java space that sits in this uh, space is OSGI, um, which, which solves the problem in similar but different ways. Um, and so this was about bringing that into the main JDK um, so that uh, people would have it out of the box after after version nine of Java, and um, but there was a lot there was a lot broken with it, and so um, and that was kind of the the outcry from the community was like let's not make this big mistake, and um, and so a lot of the people involved uh, today uh, ended up voting it down. So gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like it was kind of like a uh, a docker for. Uh, you know that's a really good analogy. Yeah, you know you could think of it that way as containerizing your um, right. your libraries that you're using within one JVM. Um, yeah, yeah, that's funny. I never kind of connected the dots now that you mentioned that, but um, you know you could think of it that way. Uh, very different space and very different technology, but right, kind of right. trying to solve a similar idea. Gotcha. Yeah, specific to the JVM, obviously, whereas Docker's solving it at the OS level. Right. Right. Uh, the other news that we had was um, uh, last week when we talked to Brendan Burns, uh, he talked about um, MS Build, the, the build conference from Microsoft. And there were several things that came out of that today, including something we're going to talk about in the news. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention in the follow-up section here was um, using uh, Windows 10, uh, there's going to be support for um, linking with uh, iOS so that something very similar to what uh, I think Mac, uh, you know, if you're in the Apple ecosystem, this is something that isn't really a new feature to you. Um, you know, the idea of handoff and continuity in the Apple space. But uh, a lot of that kind of functionality is something that will be supported for if developers specifically code to it um, for an upcoming update of Windows 10 so that you could uh, hand off, um, you know, from your iOS app, hand off, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever context it might be, you know, if you've got a, a custom mail app or uh, things like maybe Evernote or things like that, where you're doing something on your iOS device and you want it, that to simply and easily propagate over to your Windows 10 machine. Uh, that is something that's coming out of Microsoft, uh, uh, along with a couple other things. I think that's awesome. I mean, I, th I think they've sort of, uh, you know, put the nail in the coffin for the Windows phone, and they're moving on to supporting all of these other types of devices, which I think is is great for for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they really started to play fair with a lot of people. Yeah. That's kind of what yes. I see. Yeah, and that's it. Like, I appreciate that they're like expanding the ecosystem, uh, and that they're they're playing kind of outside their we are the entire ecosystem, you know, the Microsoft ecosystem of things. Uh, it's a really interesting move. Uh, several other things that are coming out of um, uh, MS Build uh, this week uh, as well. Uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about in the news um, uh, is also related to this. So I won't skip ahead, but I'm just teasing folks so that they'll keep listening for the, you know, and we'll be talking about it in the next few minutes. Um, yeah, so, uh, so that's it for follow-up. So our first segment is about current events, and we call it In the News. Uh, we each pick one news story we've read about recently that we'd like to discuss. Uh, Brian, uh, why don't you go first? What did you want to talk about? All right, so I don't think the topic is actually very new, um, but how it's been brought to light, I think, is, is a good start. So um, the National Security Director um, has, has you know, basically gone on the record saying that uh, IoT is a potential security threat. I mean, you know, because of, um, you know, takedown attacks, uh, just, you know, these devices aren't very secure. Yeah, so I, I think this is great um, to be out in the public, to get people to be aware of these types of things. Not necessarily, I'm not saying IoT is bad. I just think it needs a lot more than somebody to slap a device together, put it on the market, and then their, their support is done, right? Like... I know, for example, my my television is uh, connected television. 
Um, I never expect to get another firmware update on that thing, which is sad. Um, but uh, I think that's just the way it is right now. And I think there's a, a smaller handful of devices that actually get support and love, and they cost a lot more. But um, in my opinion, they're they're well worth it. It's, so, it, it's funny you say that because actually I just recently got a uh, an update, uh, a firmware update pushed to my TV, um, which is something that I have hooked up to Wi-Fi. The update being that um, they uh, they had been tracking my viewing. <laughs> and they got caught and they got in trouble. <laughs> they pushed uh, an update that was basically a big, bold update that showed up on the screen that said, you know, basically, uh, just so you, yeah, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> we were watching you. Uh, here's how you disable it. Uh, you know, thanks for uh, having your 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 um, your firmware updated. And I was like, I had to Google it. I'm like, why did this pop up? Where is it coming from? Like, I don't actually use it as a... Um, you know, like as a tuner, right? So like the idea that they're tracking me is like, how are, how would they be tracking? Yep. Apparently they're actually doing video analysis to figure out what you're watching, like whether you're watching something on Netflix or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is what they were doing and then reporting that back um, uh, to, uh, you know, Big Brother, aka And so, um, uh, and of course I'm going to like, I hope it's an And now that I'm like bad mouthing I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> but anyway, your 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 um your take on this is is really interesting because uh it just made me think of that uh in in particular because I do have something that's an, basically an Internet of Things device that happens to be my you know my big screen TV sitting in my bedroom that's uh, apparently been watching like you know what I've been watching on my Apple TV. So thanks. Yeah. I, I I've been uh, I've been telling my family members who are who are getting new televisions or or whatever. I was like, you don't need the smart television portion. You go get a Fire Stick or, you know, Apple TV or, you know, name name your device that you want to go get, Chromecast, right? And use that. They're, I mean, you can get, they're cheap. You can throw them away when they're, when they're out of, uh, um, when they're out of use, you get the new one, you get all, all the newer updated speed or uh, streaming at a higher resolution or whatever it is, uh, as opposed to having to, you know, not use a large portion of your television. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I promptly uh, had it forget my Wi-Fi network because I was <laughs> like, well, now that I found out you've been reporting back and tattling on me, then <laughs> it's like I should have never n enabled this smart device, which the only reason I had was because it's a 4K TV and I wanted to try the 4K streaming from Netflix thinking like, you know, <laughs> it was innocuous. And uh, and then, I, of course, I'd, I immediately stopped. I was like, oh, this is a fun novelty. But then I like, oh, but I'm not going to pay an extra $5 a month or whatever it is for it. So, um, but I never disabled the Wi-Fi. So they've been tracking, they'd been tracking me that whole time. So. Wow. It's so my, not that, shame on me. Not that, um, not that people read like the disclaimers anyhow. Uh, but and sent you that huge message. It seemed like you would have maybe had that message while while you were setting up your TV, like beforehand. Maybe just as big, like hey, oh sure, we're, yeah, we're, we're we're tracking, you know, what you you know, just what you watch, and maybe giving you a, uh, an opportunity to opt in or opt out. I think I think companies just should they should just be a little bit more vigilant when when it comes to things like that. Just give people a choice. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And making it more obvious if you're opting right. into something or if you have the cho choice to opt out. Uh, either way, like I, I I don't feel too strongly sometimes. I mean, about whether you know you should always be an opt out or an opt in, uh, you know, type of uh, mentality. As long as you're transparent about which way it is and that there is something, you know, right. like I. I feel I'm pretty diligent, though I don't go and read t terms of services and stuff or EULAs. But um, yeah, this was a big surprise to me. Like just just because it surprised me that the technology even existed to do something like that, and it happened to be installed in a device that I was using. Yeah. So I don't know if we completely veered off of what you actually wanted to talk about, Brian. But well, I think that hits it right on the head. I okay. Think that's that's par for course right there. <laughs> cool. Well, um, so Greg, uh, you know what what would you like to talk about now? Yeah, so something that came across um, my Facebook feed, actually, was Bash on Windows 10 um, is going to get support for Fedora and uh, SUSE Linux. So, Oh, um, nice. Yeah, I think that's uh, – it came out, of, came out of the Microsoft Build Developers Conference that, we, uh, that you all were speaking of earlier. 
Uh, and I think that's pretty cool. You know, we, we talked about Microsoft playing fair with, um, within the ecosystem. And, and I think that it's cool to give, uh, you know, people options. And especially when, you know, you're kind of used to a uh, certain distribution. Um, I think that's exactly. Yeah, so exactly. Like I I'm more comfortable with Fedora. I, I it's not that I think that it's better than another distro or not. It's just that's right. in my career I've had more No, let's Red start Hat Flame Wars right now, man. Yeah, Flame I know. Wars. No, I'm going <laughs> to Oh crap, here we go. Um but no, like I yeah, so it's like, oh, if I could have had, you know, it's if I can have that uh in my in the Windows uh 10 uh bash environment, that I would like that. Uh that's that's a nice uh, nice that they're uh, adding support and and giving people choice, uh, just from the testing perspective of like, hey, we run our servers on Red Hat or CentOS, and we want you know you to be testing you know locally with uh, right. you know the same type of distro. You know, I'm I'm sure it's not going to be like exactly parallel, especially when you're talking about a corporation locking down their particular flavor of a distro. But um, it's nice that uh, at least you know same tools and being able to use Yum versus apt you know or one of the others that it's like okay at least uh i'm using the same commands on my server and my uh, local windows machine yeah absolutely i'm I'm a big bash fan so yeah yeah Yeah. great yeah and i I haven't had much experience with ubuntu uh, outside of just playing around with it personally i've not used it like day to day and so it was always kind of a bit of a barrier um uh, for me uh the the other thing though now is is actually simply just the getting the anniversary update uh, supported by corporate IT and, and getting to that point where you can actually use um, the, the that, uh, that environment, which is, is something that I'm at right now. Um, so I'm looking forward to using it uh, at, at work uh, sometime in the future. Yeah, I, 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 I actually haven't um, tried this out with Windows 10 and, and using the, uh, the Bash shell. Um, I'm still... I run I run uh, Ubuntu Linux on um, on my laptop. I run Debian on one of my file servers, and I work with uh, CentOS Red Hat like pretty yep. much all day at work. Uh, but my home desktop is running Windows, but Windows Seven. So uh, maybe maybe sometime in the future I'll update and see with this whole um, you know universe imploding. <laughs> with Linux and Windows right. working together, cats and dogs living together, <laughs> mass hysteria. Thing is about so. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I I completely get that. Um, you know, I uh, I have I'm I'm recording the, this podcast on Windows 10 uh, with I think I'm pretty sure with the creators update at this point, and um, so I should be using Bash on Windows, but I actually at home don't play around on Windows enough. Uh, to actually have even tried that yet. So I will use that as a catalyst to try that at home since I have the ability to test it. Well, uh, as an interesting topic, thank you uh, for for bringing that up. Uh, speaking of uh, again uh, the uh, MS Build uh, conference, uh, the other thing that came out of it was uh, today was Visual Studio for Mac, which I saw and I was like. This is crazy. Visual Studio for Mac, again, with the cats and the dogs, thinking my initial thought is like, you're going to be able to build Windows apps on a Mac? And the quick answer is no. No, you're not going to be able to. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's a um, uh, it's the Xamarin um, uh, IDE that they purchased, they acquired uh, last year in February that um, they are rebranding as Visual Studio. So you'll be able to do iOS and Android development as well as macOS development with Visual Studio for Mac um, in, on a Mac, but you won't be able to do uh, Windows, um, you know, uh, Windows apps, uh, app development. Uh, but uh, I think for um, maybe shops that are already doing a lot of like Visual Studio uh, or iOS and Android development and they want to have a shared, you know, uh, support similar tools but across OSs, uh, maybe this is interesting. Maybe this is something that they're looking for. I'm not entirely sure who the consumers of this you know, are. I had not heard of Xamarin uh, before today when I started looking into what is Visual Studio for Mac. Um and uh, so it's not something that I'm sitting in, but maybe the mobile development space is going to be very interesting, you know, interested in having this as an option. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think I think that whole that whole brand, Visual Studios. Uh, I mean, I know everyone has, <laughs> again, has flame wars over which which IDE is better. Uh, it's obviously IntelliJ, but <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, um, you're talking but, you're ta- preaching to the choir here. So, right, right but I mean, every, everybody has an opinion. But I've heard very few complaints over the years about Visual Studios. Uh, I know people love their Visual Studios, um, so I think it's great that. They're trying to branch out uh, more officially. Yeah, it's just building the brand further, saying that, okay, this is something that's valuable across OSs. It's not just a Windows thing anymore. Is yep. uh, is interesting. I remember um, I attended, what was it, WWDC a couple of years ago. Maybe it was, yeah, it was two years ago, 2015. I th- I, and I thought there was an announcement that um, they were going to allow iOS development on Linux. Does anybody remember anything like that? It, you know, that is ringing a bell. That is ringing a bell. I don't remember the specifics of it, if, um, you know, when that happened. It, it's, it just seemed, it, so when they made the announcement, um, you know, a, a few people who I uh, met up with down there were pretty excited because one of, you know, the barriers to, I guess, entry on uh, developing for iOS is that you need a, you need a Mac, right? To right. Do that. And this would allow, you know, it, you know, uh, when it comes to um, uh, younger people who may not have the money to buy Macs, uh, to be able to develop in the, in the Linux environment because you can put Linux just, you know, on any piece of cheap hardware and, and run it. And everybody was like, oh, that's great. This is what we need, you know, especially when it comes to maybe inner city kids who don't have money and things like that. And then right. I, never heard, I never heard anything else. Anyhow, that what you guys were talking about kind of brought that, brought that. Yeah, up. yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many like, you know, uh, Chromebooks and and you know the I don't really use the term anymore, but netbooks, right? Um, right. You know, the much cheaper um, hardware to be able to do that development on there is um, is really interesting. Uh, you know, I think it's it would be really valuable to to folks. Um, I yeah. think that the other thing is like. This is not a good example, but like I, the iPad and iOS has um, uh, the Swift Playgrounds, right? Which is a way for you to actually develop on uh, what is effectively a cheaper machine. Like if you had maybe an iPad Mini or you know a secondhand um, or you know refurbished machine, gets you kind of close to that price point of you know the a few a couple hundred dollars. But um, obviously, it's not the same thing as like a iPad Pro, you know, or something right. like that. Those those things are going to be much closer to the price point of a laptop. But um, yeah, it's that's really interesting. So uh, last week we were excited to announce that we had our first sponsor, and uh, so uh, for you, our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, you know, one of the books that, uh, or audiobooks that I have read, uh, listened to, I'm, I, I'm an Audible uh, subscriber right now, um, I've listened to both of the uh, way of the, um, excuse me, the Stormlight Archive, uh, and I talked about that again last week. Um, the uh, next book that I think I'm going to listen to is uh, one of the Mistborn uh, books from the same author, uh, Brendan Sanderson. I, uh, Brian, you had recommended that. Highly recommend um, it. Yep. Right? And, and again, I'm, I'm not even usually in that genre of books, but it's it's awesome, and it's like 40 hours. So <laughs> yeah, Right. It's like you get it's your well bang for your it. buck, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, it, it, which is pretty awesome. Which, the nice thing is, though, you you could listen to that for free if you um, are uh, subscribing to Audible for the first time. Uh, so uh, if you'd like to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash codemonkey. Uh, that will use our promo code, and it will uh, help out uh, the show. Uh, again, that's audibletrial.com slash codemonkey for your free audiobook. Our next segment is our interview with Greg. Uh, but before we dive into our interview segment, uh, I'd like to ask all our guests, since it's a broad topic and different people have different definitions, but Greg, how, how do you personally define DevOps? Yes, that's funny. Um, I was actually having this discussion with uh, some of my... Um, Actually, former co- co-workers, um, some guys who, who worked uh, uh, at the company I worked for and have moved on, we're in the same Slack channel. Uh, the way I define it is, you know, development or development and operations uh, working together to achieve 
business objectives. Um, so where I, you know that's kind of a little bit more uh, philosophical and cultural um, than it is anything else. Uh, and I think I, th- I really think that's kind of important because that using that type of philosophy can, in my opinion, anyhow, uh, can really shape up how you uh, build your your team out, right? So that's right. that's how I define it. Nice, yeah. No, that's a. Uh, uh, I completely agree with that. I, it is to me, it's something much more about culture and collaboration than it is something about tooling and and. Um, you know, coding, uh, and, and that side of the thing or, you know, administration, you know, so definitely, definitely communication is key, right? Yes. Cool. Well, so Greg, um, why don't you, uh, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what you're doing at Hobson's and, um, maybe tell our listeners who, who aren't familiar with Hobson's and, you know, what kind of what, the uh, what it is you're working on and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I am what they consider at Hobson's a uh, DevOps engineer. I know there's going to be some DevOps uh, people that are like, oh, just you guys shouldn't have a title called DevOps engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually, <laughs> which was, yeah, we which was another, another discussion, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which was another discussion I was having with my uh, former colleagues. And they, they, uh, we kind of agreed that like more like site reliability engineer will be a more proper uh, term uh, yep. for something like that. But uh, that's what my, that's what, you know, it's on my uh, my profile at work, and that's what I get paid for. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep, DevOps engineer. So, uh, Hopsons is a uh, is an educational software company where we have a SaaS platform, uh, and it's basically allows um, or it's it's a SaaS platform for college preparedness and college readiness, right? So, yep. um, what they do, we have a a main product or a few products actually, but one the product that I uh, product line that I work on is called Naviance, uh, and it pretty much deals with um, uh, getting students prepared uh, for college. So uh, the things that we, and I, you know, I'm a little bit older, so, so I'm not for sure. So um, the things that we used to do that require these, you know, manual things like sending transcripts and then letters of recommendation to uh, different colleges, uh, Naviance kind of gives you like this portal to be able to, to do that from the, from the uh, student and parent side, from the, from the administrative side, uh, so counselors, teachers, um, it, it gives you the ability to kind of keep track of what the student's progress is uh, as far as uh, their goals to attend college. So uh, if you see a student hasn't submitted like a letter of recommendation for a college or they haven't picked out colleges or they haven't taken, you know, their SAT test, you know, they can keep track of, of things like that. So uh, we have a pretty... Uh, uh, pretty big platform. Uh, a lot of a lot of school districts are, are signed up on our platform, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty much what what Hobson's does. And, and over the years, they have a, obtained um, other companies to bring into their whole uh, educational portfolio. So very cool, very cool. So is it um, a lot of uh, private infrastructure, or uh, are you using uh, any of the pl- public cloud offerings for so, uh, what you're doing? Yeah, so. Um, it's, it's funny. We're actually in the middle of moving um, our, our main platform, which is, well, well, let me back up a little bit. We have infrastructure right now um, internally in a, in a data center, and then we have infrastructure uh, in the cloud. So we have a lot of our microservices. Uh, they are being uh, ran in Amazon. And then we have um, some of the, the main parts of the platform, uh, such as what they call Succeed uh, and Family Connection. So Family Connection is more of the uh, the student-facing side of Naviance, and then Succeed is more of the administrative um, side of, of Naviance. So we have both of those uh, platforms hosted in, in a data center. But we are in yep. the middle of a migration uh, to move all of that infrastructure into AWS. Nice. So uh, cool. it sounds like you've, you know, you're you're dealing with a, a very common problem. I think a lot of businesses have, which is that uh, how do you transition, right? And how do you go uh, in? And how do you maintain a hybrid um, uh, kind of split between private and and public infrastructure like that? Right. So um, really cool. Sounds like you're you're working on some some pretty cool stuff. Uh, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm fairly new to the. Um, 
I, I'm not going to say DevOps where I'm going to say the, 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 SRE, the, you know, the yeah, uh, site reliability. Right, right, yeah. Well, more, yeah, the, the kind of web scale application world. I come from a, yeah. um, from a more traditional, uh, data center background, right? Yeah. So I actually worked as a systems administrator at a data center, uh, before I, um, I got my job at Hobson. So, uh, I was doing a lot of, you know, the racking and stacking and, you know, we had our, uh, we had our own internal uh, virtual infrastructure, uh, and we offered that as a kind of a cloud platform to uh, to customers. So we ran. We initially ran our, our cloud offering on uh, CloudStack, and oh, yeah. we switched from that. Um, and we started offering VMware uh, hosted infrastructure. So uh, we had a. Um, a couple of different platforms. Well, a couple of different offerings, I should say, not platforms. Uh, one was we built private infrastructure or private clouds or what have you for, for customers. And then we had um, this kind of a cloud um, VMware based uh, infrastructure where, you know, customers just, you know, they had their own portal. They, you know, launched mm-hmm. virtual machines and that type of thing. So, yeah. Uh, it's a common way to kind of branch into kind of the self-provisioning and, um, right. you know, a lot of the advantages of using something like a, a hypervisor, um, you know, like a, you know, uh, the, there's various of them, but VMware right. is definitely one of the popular ones. Right. Right. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I've been here at Hobson's for about a year, really getting to know the lay of the land, uh, learn the tool set. Uh, learn how, learn how scrum teams work, which is, mm-hmm. it's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, what is ahead. your take on that? Like, I think that's a really interesting kind of topic to delve into is, um, project management, you know, and, and how, you know, how do you like it? Do you think that there's a, you know, uh, th- I'm sure there's things to change about it. Uh, I know one of the things that I have problem with is that it's different to, it's a yet another topic, which is very different to everybody who is involved. I don't think I've had a project manager who thought of, um, you know, Scrum or uh, or Agile uh, program, you know, uh, project management in the same way. So, what do you? Well, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's boring. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's no, like so, right. It's just keeping the lights on type of a problem, right? In yeah, it's 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 um, I don't know. Uh, so it's funny because I went from an environment where I didn't have many meetings at all to having like five meetings a day. Yeah. So that whole thing is, uh, it's great. And it's not great at the same time, because I, it's something that I've, I always wanted, but more, more or less that, that line of communication, right. To know what's going on with, with everyone and, and, and the environment and things like that. Uh, the only, the biggest issue I have with it is a lot of the times, uh, I have like there's nothing for me to uh, um, contribute or it's, mm. it's it's developers talking right and so um, you get to this point to where you kind of uh, you can easily tune out <laughs> and then yep. or zone out and then all of a sudden it's you hear your name and it's like oh, oh yeah yeah what was that yeah oh okay oh, yeah yeah a deployment yeah, exactly. on this day yeah um, I like I like t- the structure. I like structure, period, right? I like, um, knowing, um, or having, you know, dotting your I's, crossing your T's, or what have you. Um, it's something that, uh, I lacked, not me personally, but the, the workplaces that I worked at kind of lacked a certain structure, uh, and it kind of drove me nuts. Uh, and so I like the structure part of it. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's, you know, you can easily, at least for me, you know, being, uh, more, you know, SRE, DevOps, whatever, um, being on that side of it. And it's just, it, you know, you get to the point where it's just a lot of developers talking about, you know, features and, you know, uh, bug fixes and things like that. And then, you know, you can easily, for me, I can easily zone out and then pick it up whenever I hear my name. So yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I run into the same types of problem with the the team I'm on, um, and and we're sort of all doing the same thing, but with different um, 
programming languages. So, right. you know, if some JavaScript people are, are talking, I can kind of drone out because, you know, it's just not related to what I'm doing. And then I'm sure they drone out when I talk about my stuff. So um, <laughs> some of the best teams I think I've been on have been uh, where everybody's working very like on the same thing and everybody's uh, communicating. But at the same time, you know, the whole Scrum Agile thing is about bringing these things together, right? Uh, right. People from, from each portion of the stack, you know, test engineers, uh, ops, uh, development. So, um, so I, I definitely feel those same pains. Yeah. And that's, that's hard is, you know, when it's done really well, you've got stakeholders from kind of all different parts of, um, you know, of the delivery, uh, team, uh, you know, for lack of a better term. And, we each have our specialties. And so if you get too deep into one of those specialties in a meeting with people who don't know what you're talking about, um, it right. can be, it's kind of the antithesis of what you want in, in a really, like at least from like the stand-up side of things, right? A stand-up right. should be very clean, very, you know, quick, um, you know, just uh, tell me what you did yesterday. Tell me what you're going to do today. Tell me if you got any blockers. Uh, and then we talk about that and uh, see if there's anybody around that can resolve it. Um, so, uh, right. and then, so. Yeah. So the standups are, I have no, the standups are fine. Uh, like you said, they're five to 10 minutes at most. Um, so I'm, I'm part of several different scrum teams. Uh, at the, at this point, I think maybe four or five. Yeah, that can be teams. hard to balance when you're right. a shared resource among different right. teams. So it's it, this. It's not only the standups, but uh, and I don't know, you know, how this is my first environment that I worked in that had scrum teams. So I'm, I'm not for sure how if everyone does this, but uh, you have uh, these, you know, these backlog grooming sessions, right? And those tend to be like they can be up to an hour right? and per team. So imagine maybe mm-hmm. having two of those a day and imagine like most of it not pertaining to anything. That you exactly. Care about. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, to- I actually totally relate. I'm, I'm in a similar situation where I'm a, a shared resource and, right. you know, you have to fight that, you know, you have to kind of continue that pushback uh, against, uh, meeting itis uh, of having too many <laughs> meetings, right? Because right. Uh, you're that shared resource, and they all want to to uh, manage the team. Uh, it, it, it's a very noble and and worthy cause, but yeah. when you're a shared resource, it becomes uh, too much. Yeah, so I totally relate. Yep. Yeah. Um, so tell me more. Uh, like I appreciate you know hearing your perspective, uh, kind of being early in your your you know DevOps career. But uh, you know, again, like let's not use the dirty word. And uh, it's more um, you know I'd love to hear more about kind of where uh, you know as you're transitioning into kind of this this SRE type role. Um, how is it different? How is it different from being you know a, a sysadmin? Uh, you know where the the mentality is is potentially different, but I think a lot of the tasks and the the the, the things you're trying to accomplish are similar, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, you're absolutely uh, right. So, um, I'm I'm starting starting to learn uh, to, to kind of have a different mindset about the tasks that. Uh, the job that I have. Right. So, um, at my last job, we weren't as, Hmm. What's a, what's a (laughs) good way to, I guess we weren't, you know, we, we weren't as, um, we weren't as automated. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Um, Sure. More manual. Right. Right. A lot, a lot of, you know, more manual task. Um, and at this job, you know, it's really more about um, doing things more in an automated fashion. Uh, even though, you know, we're not fully there yet. Uh, I think, you know, we're we're constantly trying to strive toward you know, to that point, which is another reason why we're we're moving into uh, to AWS to to take advantage of some of the automation tools mm-hmm. uh, that's out there. Uh, so it's really, you know, really trying to change the mindset to, you know, what can I do to kind of make this task easier. Um, you know, what can I do to make this task repeatable? Um, you know, what can I do uh, so that um, I'm not having to log into a machine to accomplish this? So um, it's, you know, that along with picking up the new tool set, 
Uh, I, I actually haven't, um, before this job, I, I hadn't, um, uh, touched AWS before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, learning AWS, uh, learning config management, I, I actually was working on, um, uh, p- uh, implementing config management at, at my last job just for some simple things, SSH key management and things like that. Right. Uh, but I ended up leaving before I got that fully implemented. So, um, you know, here, you know, we have Puppet, uh, where we're running Ansible as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're making that shift from Puppet to Ansible. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been a lot of, uh, you know, just really trying to learn a tool set, learn the environment, uh, change my way of thinking when it comes to uh, dealing with day-to-day tasks. Yeah, and how, how involved are the developers with the configuration of AWS? Uh, in you know, are, Is that something that you take on the responsibility uh, solely, or is that something that you iterate with them of like, okay, um, you know, we need to have these boxes set up or this networking uh, configured, and are they taking active per, uh, part in that, or it's more that sits on you and you're, you're working with them to no, figure out what yeah, their requirements so, are? Right. Uh, so it, it, it is a, a, a lot of collaborating um, between uh, me and the developers. So we, we, we've been using RightScale for AWS management. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, it's a lot of back and forth with the developers as far as, you know, um, we have some, some standards on how QA is set up, how, uh, what we call devs is, is set up and how production is, is set up. So we have kind of a standard on how each environment uh, should look, how many machines should be running, uh, you know, um, and those types of things, you know, how, um, um, what am I trying to say? Um, so in production, for instance, we have uh, how, you know, how we set up redundancy uh, and things like that. So um, the, the main thing with, when I work with developers is finding out what services need to talk to what other services. Right. So, right. uh, so I know, you know, what security groups need to be set up. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, um, uh, what subnets need to be created, uh, and, and things like that. Um, <clears throat> what inputs. So in right skill, you have these, you know, you have write scripts and then, uh, you have all these inputs, you know, what are the inputs? So those are kind of the things that I go back to, uh, to the developers, uh, you know, for answers for. So, uh, it's, 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 it's normally, a, you know, a constant back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, test this, test this. Okay. Are you satisfied? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we, then we kind of, you know, hand it off, uh, to them. So. Yeah. Oh, very collaborative, very, uh, customer service oriented. It yeah. sounds. Um, tell me a little bit more about RightScale. Uh, to be honest, I, I wasn't familiar with it until you just mentioned it, and, and now I'm furiously googling it, and uh, it oh, seems okay. really interesting. Yeah, so it's it's uh, a platform that allows you to manage uh, your resources in uh, AWS. Uh, so um, you know, if you have multiple you know VPCs, multiple accounts in AWS, uh, you can manage all that from from one. Uh, one console. Uh, so uh, everything from, you know, creating VPCs, creating subnets, creating uh, security groups uh, to, you know, creating these, uh, you know, load balancers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the cool part about it is these write scripts. So um, it's, it's more kind of a, a, a server. It's, it's, it's cloud management and it's also like server provisioning um, in one. So, you can create like the server templates um, and you can say, hey, you know, um, for this server template, it's going to be uh, running this specific Amy um, in, AW- in AWS. So you put, you know, CentOS with whatever, you know, packages right. that you have on that. Right. So then so you have your um, your server template and then you have these things called write scripts uh, and then the write scripts are uh, what kind of configure the machine and get it ready for the application. Uh, so you can, um, you know, say, you know, ins- install this, uh, this agent for, um, for monitoring a new relic, install this agent for monitoring in Splunk yep. or for law collection in Splunk. 
uh, run these specific scripts in order to do, you know, X, Y, Z. Uh, and so that allows you to kind of to be able to kind of automate uh, uh, the server provisioning part of it so that, you know, when whenever you're using things like um, or just for just if you just happen to want to spin up another server, that's a duplicate uh, to one that you destroy. Then, then it's just, you know, you click launch and it, you know, grabs the server template, grabs the right scripts spins up your instance and you're good to go nice yeah so it seems like it's uh kind of in a similar space that hashicorp is is setting up i mean there's lots of them but you know from from what i'm familiar with a lot of the tooling that hashicorp has created uh you know terraform packer you know things like that sounds like uh, overlaps with this Right, and it's funny that you mention that because we're actually about to start moving away from right scale and moving to yep. uh, HashiCorp Suite. So okay. uh, that's uh, so I have to you know bone up on um, on Terraform on Packer. Yep, we're going to be using Ansible as well. So yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of the 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 sauce that where you know I'm using right now is is having you know I'm still using Ansible. But with Packer to create the the AMIs, right. Um, right. and uh, I don't really see something in the HashiCorp suite of tools that really replaces the Ansible side of things. That you still need the you know right. Packer needs to really. I mean, unless you're going to write a very kind of complex um, uh, Packer setup, uh, you, you you're going to end up using some type of a configuration management tool like Ansible or Chef to end up loading what's going to end up being in the AMI, and then from that point on, then you're using Terraform to actually launch so, stuff up. Right. Very similar. It sounds like very similar to what you're doing in right scale. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest difference is, uh, and I'm guessing anyhow, is cost. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Right, right scale is very expensive from what, from what I understand. Yep. Yeah. That's what I'm just looking uh, online. It looks like it's a, uh, a, a very enterprise driven uh, solution, uh, which yes. means they can charge enterprise costs. So, right. and, um, and I, and, and not to, I don't mean to bash uh, right scale or anything like that. Yeah, no, it's, also, it's definitely not coming off as that. It's, it's okay. uh, you know, no, it sounds like, um, you know, right scale is a u- very useful tool for you now. Right. And there, there are some, some difficulties with working with right, right scale. Um, so when you're creating um, environments, for instance, um, right scale is kind of weird because in some instances, it allows you to use kind of the, uh, the, so for instance, if you create a security group called, um, uh, MySQL, for mm-hmm. instance, and, um, so you allow, you know, inbound MySQL, uh, using that security group. So in some, in some spots in, in right, uh, right scale, it'll show you the, the, the human friendly name for it. Right. Mm. And then in some instances, it'll just show you the actual security group nomenclature. So SG dash and then some hash. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's just like, you know, why don't you, how come you're just not universal across? And it makes it difficult because then you have to go from, you end up having to open up multiple tabs. So you'll end up, um, open at a tab that has all the security groups and then you'll end up opening a tab where you're creating an environment so mm-hmm. you can copy the security group name um the, the amazon the aws name this sg dash whatever uh so you can input it into you know this environment that you're building in order for it to um i guess reconcile itself and, and bring up the right security group so it's 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 kind of clunky in that way. Uh, it would be nice if it did it, you know, just with human friendly. And it's the same thing with other things like low balancers. And it's, it's just, it's just kind of weird that, that they decided to, and I, I don't, I don't know like what, um, what the mindset was when they said, Hey, you know, on this screen, we're going to show you the human friendly name, but on this screen, you got to go digging. So yeah. it's kind of weird. Yeah, no, I've, I've used other tools in the past, uh, Blade Logic uh, from EMC is one that uh, comes to mind that had similar faults in their um, in their user uh, experience. So, yeah. yeah, it's kind of finding the best balance uh, and right. finding the tool that works the best for you with all its warts. Because every tool will will have warts, right? So, right. yeah, uh, Brian, uh, did you have any uh, other questions for Greg? 
Yeah, I, I want to hear about um, the Blacks and Technology and your podcast and how did how did you end yeah. up getting into this? Yeah, so um, for those who may or may not know, I am African American, <laughs> and um, I founded Blacks and Technology organization uh, back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, uh, and it was a way for me to. Uh, I'll give you a little backstory. So. I was attending an Ohio Linux Fest, um, our Linux conference called Ohio Ohio Linux Fest here in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, it it was a conference that I had been to a couple of times uh, previous years. This is probably my second or third year going. And, you know, I just started. So when you go to these conferences, one of the things that you really notice is the camaraderie, right? The, the community, especially uh, in, in the open source community and you know, a, a Linux conference, you really see that, that camaraderie um, head on, right? Yeah. And so <clears throat> what I noticed was, you know, all, the, all this knowledge, all this, um, uh, this free information being given out, um, as well as all the free swag, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but I didn't notice many, african-americans um at the conference and so you know you know whether or not they were attendees or speakers i just didn't i for the first few years um i was probably one of three or four that i've seen that i've seen it it there so uh for me it wasn't it wasn't a moment of it wasn't a moment of of uh, being upset it was a moment of hey you know what's what's keeping african americans from attending conferences like this and gaining this knowledge i i you know i've been very fortunate in my career to be able to um uh make good money be able to um support my family and so when i see this i'm wondering you know what, what I want is more African-Americans to be in the same boat, hmm. right, to, to be able to experience this. And so uh, I, just, I noticed that there was a uh, an underrepresentation of African-Americans at the conference. And so I just went out trying to seek uh, a reason as to why. So, you know, one thing, you know, was, hey, do they do they know about this conference? Um, and if they do know, is it a thing of uh, as far as visibility, they maybe a few come here and then notice that they that there are uh, not many African Americans here, so maybe they don't come back because they don't feel as welcome or uncomfortable right. or whatever. Um, and so it was really a thing of, hey, what can I do to maybe help mitigate this or help solve this? Uh, and so my idea was to come up with um, at the time, which which uh, it was just this online community that I wanted to. Uh, bring together to bring African Americans in, in one space, that, so we we can talk about technology, we can share information, we can share knowledge, and we can talk about conferences that maybe you know we didn't know about, or you know maybe we weren't aware of. Um, and it you know it started out it's me just throwing a website up there um, and and adding some 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 uh, some components to it, you know, uh, social media. Or, uh, not social media, but social networking part of it. Uh, have, have, we had a um, uh, a blog, and you know, as that started ramping up, and more and more people started joining, um, I, you know, I had the idea like this could really bring together a, a very large community, uh, and so I started doing things to to increase the visibility of um, of the site. Right, so. Someone will be talking about diversity and technology. I'll go and I'll blog or, or I'll comment, not blog, but I'll comment and I'll say, hey, you know, we have a thriving community, you know, and we're, you know, we're, we're growing every day, you know, come check us out if you, and, and it provided this, not only, um, this website that will uh, allow our, our, our users and our members to have this visibility, but also this support system as well, because a lot of people that I've, I've, um, had conversations with uh that's one of the main things is you know i i I, i'm the only black person 
in my department or in mm. my company or whatever. And, you know, I, I sometimes feel like I don't get the support. And so this is, this is that support system. So from the early days of Blacks and Technology, I mean, we grew from, um, you know, within the first few months of having maybe 50 to 100 members to having over 2,200 plus members wow. nationwide and even some globally. Uh, we have, you know, members in Canada, some members in the UK, some members in Africa. Uh, and so it's really grown into this more of this platform uh, and this outlet for uh, for people of color in tech. That's really great. That's really great. Yeah, the uh, uh, BIT B- BIT being the acronym yep. is is. I mean, I think you win the Internet Award, right? I mean, that's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's great naming, right? It's just very very t- relevant and very topical. Um, yep. Yeah, this is this is awesome. I thank you for sharing. Uh, I think it's uh, you know no problem because it's definitely a problem I've seen. You know, and and it's it's um, you know it's the kind of thing that uh, uh, I am not African American, and um, and so it's the kind of thing that I always wonder: is there a way that I can help? You know, is there a way that right. um, you know is it something that uh, I can make an active you know uh, choice uh, to uh, do something differently? Um, but uh, but yeah, at, right. at the very least, seem welcoming and, and open. Is I think the at the very least that I can do, um, in uh, you know when it comes to uh, any of the 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 conferences or stuff that I've been to, um, you know it's the it, it's it's something that I I'll be candid. It's not something that I I actively have thought about, and it's something that I have to do a better job of thinking about. Um, so this is awesome. Right. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Oh no problem. I appreciate it. Cool. Well, um, thank you, Greg, for joining us today. Uh, Greg, uh, where can our listeners find out more about what uh, you know, about what you're working on? Yeah. Um, so you know, um, Blacks and Technology site uh, www.blacksandtechnology.net. Uh, we have a podcast. We've done um, 105 podcasts so far. Wow. Um, we've also done um, um, videos as well. So. Uh, real quick, and uh, I don't mean to make this longer than it, uh, but we, we're, we're doing a series right now uh, called The Tech Life Getting Hired, uh, and it's a series about uh, people of color working in tech that, that happen to work at some of the, the big-name companies, big-name tech companies. So uh, the premise of it was uh, there's a lot of, uh, of horror stories coming out of Silicon Valley uh, when it comes to diversity in tech. Yeah. Uh, and, and while it's, um, the, for me, you know, the conversation needs to be had, uh, but I don't think that should be the only conversation, right? So uh, what I mean by that is if, if my job is to encourage more African-Americans, um, uh, more black people um, uh, in general, to go into the tech field, uh, the last thing I want to do is discourage them from. I want to prepare them for what they may, um, what they may experience, mm. but I don't want to discourage them from getting into this field either as uh, um, you know, employ, employ, uh, employees or as entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. And and what you hear a lot of is uh, you know headlines such as. Silicon Valley doesn't like black people or mm. Silicon Valley is not welcoming for uh, people of color or minorities. Right. And to me, what does that say to anyone else who may be thinking about a career in tech? Oh, right. That's it's not for me. And I don't I don't want that. So I wanted to kind of kind of add to this conversation and say, OK, yeah, there the, there's uh, these top tech companies and. I'm going to go and I'm going to uh, uh, find some people of color that work at these top tech companies. I'm, I want to, I'm going to interview them. I'm going to ask them uh, questions so they can give us these applicable answers about what it takes to get employed at a Google or at an Amazon or right. at you know a Salesforce, and use that as a resource to give back to our community so they can be better prepared. Because one of the things that comes out of these conversations is that. You know, we have people that go at to to interview for these jobs and they're totally unprepared because maybe they're they don't have the same background as far as education uh, goes or, uh, you know, they just don't know the lay of the land and, uh, about what it takes to um, 
to to have the necessary skills. And so we ask these questions to to our guests and say, hey, you know, you are you've already been through the interview process. You know what it's like. Uh, tell our listeners what it's like. Tell our listeners how you prepared. What were the interview questions like? Um, how many interviews did you have? And they can give us these 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 answers. And you know, like I said, we can use that as a resource for for our members. Awesome. And and so is this something that our listeners can participate in? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we uh, we normally broadcast those live we if you check out the uh the website um blacksandtechnology.net um uh we 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 normally promote the 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 upcoming uh video show you know maybe a week or so in advance and then you can you can it's a, it's a google hangout so uh uh watch or listeners or viewers can can check out the youtube channel and then they can type in comments and they can actually Tweet us their questions as well uh, at Black and Technology, and that's B L K I N T E C H N O L O G Y. So they can they can participate in, in the discussions as well. We we ask um, quite a few questions, but we do take questions from uh, from the audience as well. Awesome! Wow, wow that's great, and uh, congratulations on on breaking a hundred episodes. That's uh, yeah, that's a feat all by itself. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I can be found on Twitter as well at Brian Demers, all one word. Yeah. And I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Jackson, J-A-X-Z-I-N. Uh, but before we go, let's leave our listeners with something to do. So this is where each week we'll leave you, the listener, with something to watch, read, play, or try out some other way. Brian, what, you, uh, what did you want to leave our listeners with? All right. So so a coworker of mine uh, brought this up. We were looking for ways to do... Um, more interesting screencasts and, and sharing sharing code snippets for for some of our, our JavaScript libraries that we do my day job. Um, so we posted a link to this this company called Scrimba, which is I think is a probably terrible name, but it's a really amazing um, approach. So you can pause. It's it's a code sample that you can pause and edit the code, and then run it, um, and then you can click. Um, Click go in the video, you know, the normal screen capture type thing will continue and somebody will walk through the code or whatever. Um, but the the one that I'll link in the show notes is the, is the one that uh, my coworker said around uh, and it was neural nets. So I don't know a whole lot about uh, machine learning uh, other than sort of what I've read along the way. Um, so this Scrimba demo is basically explaining how to do an XOR um, with a simple neural net, uh, two inputs three three nodes and then one output and uh he the guy admits he's he's definitely more of a hobby um hobbyist machine learning uh, aficionado i guess hmm. um but it was really interesting it looks like there's a great javascript library that that this was all done in um and that, that says a lot coming from me <laughs> um <laughs> But it was super interesting. So there, there's three things jam-packed in there that uh, you should definitely check out. It's it's like a 10-minute video, but again, you could stop it at any time, change some of the code, um, and then rerun it, and then continue with the video again. So huh. definitely check it out. Very cool. That's I'm I'm definitely gonna check that out. Uh, Greg, what did you want to bring our listeners? So uh, I have a friend. Um, his name is David. Uh, and he is a nerdcore hip hop artist. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with nerdcore. Yes, I, I, am. I am not. So please, okay. So talk to me like friend. I'm an idiot because I apparently am. Okay. So nerdcore hip hop is hip hop about uh, everything nerdy. So hacking, computers, tech, gaming. You know, Star Wars, anything in in that realm. Yeah. Uh. And so my friend, uh, he has a group called Dual Core. That's great. And, <laughs> right. And it's him. Uh, he's a native of Cincinnati, but uh, he currently lives in um, Austin. And he works, uh, does uh, InfoSec uh, for Salesforce. He used to do it for Facebook. And he moved from San Francisco and moved to Austin and started working for Salesforce. Actually, he worked for Salesforce before he moved. But then, he, you know, anyhow. So, um and so he has, he's pretty, he's pretty well known, uh, in the InfoSec community as well as, uh, you know, from, from being a pretty good InfoSec guy as well as, you know, doing his music. 
And so he has um, a website, dualcoremusic.com. Uh, and he also has a, um, a Bandcamp um, site as well, dualcoremusic.bandcamp.com. He has, I think, five or six um, albums. And he just released a song called Ten Hack Commandments. Hmm. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. So anybody who's interested in, you know, gaming, sci-fi, nerdy stuff, who also likes hip hop, uh, or can you even just appreciate it, you should go check them out. And they might, awesome. I, I might, I might be on three of the albums. I don't know. I might be doing, <laughs> oh. might be doing some raps. Oh, nice. that's awesome. Nice. Oh, no, I'm definitely, so, I'm listening. Yeah. Uh, it's under uh, my under the pseudonym uh, Remington Forbes, so that's my pseudonym. Oh, nice. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, go check well, that out. I will definitely check that out. Thank you. Um, we will definitely have a link in the show notes uh, to that. Excellent. Um, so what I wanted to uh, leave the listeners with was Repl uh, uh, Repl uh, um, It's uh, a really interesting site for testing stuff out but specifically um uh playing with the react the uh, react native compiler that they have I, I was playing with this today um just because i was looking for like a tutorial on on react I've, I've dabbled in some react um previously and the cool thing is, is you pull it up and then you download a, an app on your phone and you take a, a picture of a qr code you sync a, a qr code and you get a live um, basically editor on your computer that uh, immediately as soon as you hit like the run button or the compile button effectively it then pushes the changes to your phone um, and so you can kind of do like some live coding and live testing um, with uh, react and and they got a really nice like five minute tutorial in react and stuff so uh, anyway I'm, I'll have a link in the show notes but um, it's a really good execution cool. of uh, kind of an in-browser editor and uh, uh, in-browser IDE uh, paired with a with a phone cool i think that's a great spin nice. on 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 that whole concept because you know i mean i i i have a you know very thick uh editor right um and, right. and cloud editing is the new buzz uh for whatever reason and i get it but uh pairing that with a device i think is really a great idea yeah it's very cool check it out cool all right well that wraps up another episode definitely check us out codemonkey.fm email us feedback feedback at codemonkey.fm um we have a slack we have a subreddit um and definitely thanks for the the people who have joined this last week uh, and left us comments that's super helpful so definitely go check us out the links are all on the website yeah um the uh the slack is uh, to get an invite is codemonkey.fm uh, I'm sorry. Nope. I'm getting that wrong. Try it again. Slack.codemonkey.fm uh, to get your invite. And then the so the subreddit is, um, uh, is I believe it's codemonkeytalks.reddit.com. But uh, uh, if uh, that's wrong, I'm going to edit it out. <laughs> and, anyway, um, if you like this episode, uh, please do us a favor and review us on your favorite podcast finder of choice, be it uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, uh, and or one of the many others uh, that would really help us out get and uh, help us get heard by more people. So um, thanks to Greg for joining us this week and uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.